are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Where Your Treasure Is. I am one of the co-hosts, Bex, and I'm here with our other co-host, Simon. How are you doing today, Simon? Well, the day we're recording this, Bex, is quite warm, although I imagine by the time it goes out, it'll be quite cold again. So we might get through it quickly and I can go for a nice cool drink somewhere. How are you doing? I am also looking forward to that. I'm hoping you have no more lawnmower interruptions behind you and we will get a clear run at this episode. Yeah, spoiler alert there, the, the lawnmower for the office block I'm uh, currently recording in zipped past five minutes ago and I'm hoping they've now done my bit of the window and won't come back. If I go quiet in the middle and Bex takes over, that is the reason. Anyway, we should stop waffling because we have a guest with us, Bex. Who is our guest for this episode? We do. So we have been following this season on giving and we thought how better to ground it than to talk to someone who actually relies on people's giving, whose job is based on that. And so we have Olivia Barker-White from Kids Club Kampala here with us today. How are you, Olivia? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. It's a privilege for us to have you on. I'll tell you why, because I think just this last week, Olivia has been on a podcast with the BBC. So she's obviously a global Woo. star in the <laughs> podcasting world, and she's following it up, joining us on Where Your Treasure Is. So we need to find out a bit about Olivia before we start plying her with some questions. So, Olivia, start us off. Who are you? What do you do? So yes, I'm Olivia and I am one of the co-founders and I'm the chief exec of Kids Club Kampala, which is a Christian charity supporting vulnerable children in slum communities in Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda, which is a country in East Africa. I'm based in Birmingham in the UK and I'm married to Hugh, who is currently training to be a vicar in the Church of England. So he's also uh, living by faith in many ways as well. And I've got two children. So I've got five and a two-year-old. And I'm actually going off on maternity leave soon. So probably by the time this podcast comes out, I will have a third child. <laughs> so yes, that's just a little bit about me. Wonderful. And here on Where Your Treasure Is, we are really interested in lots of things, but two things in particular. One is finance, which we're going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about. But the other is faith. So Olivia, could you tell us a little bit about your journey of faith, how you came to know Jesus and what that looks like today? Yeah, definitely. So I was brought up in a Christian family, going to church, but I don't think it was really until I was a teenager that I actually kind of understood faith for myself. Certainly as a child, I remember enjoying church and enjoying singing and learning Bible stories, but I don't think I quite realised what that really meant. And it wasn't until I was sort of about 14 that I made a serious commitment. And for me, my faith has really always been quite sort of tied up in my calling. So when I was a teenager, I always used to feel just burdened, I suppose, for the global poor. And I didn't know what it meant at the time. I couldn't put it into words. But looking back, I know that God was calling me to something and the Holy Spirit was really breaking my heart. But as I said, I couldn't quite articulate that at the time. I'd see adverts on TV for things like comic relief or be learning about things in geography 
at school and I just would start weeping and I didn't know what it was but it was obviously the Lord but at the time I didn't know and then when I was 16 I went to one of these big Christian youth festivals and had a really really powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit the first time I properly encountered the Holy Spirit and in that moment I really felt God speaking to me and giving me a real heart for the global poor and I just remember yeah just having my heart completely broken and realising that these feelings I'd been having weren't just me being weird but actually God was leading me into something and again I was quite young but I obviously ended up doing what I'm doing now but I think for me my faith has always been really tied up in that and it's been fairly difficult for me to separate my faith from what I'm doing in that way and that's always been a big part of my journey and still is now. So I'm just thinking right 16 year old Olivia and maybe I'm being Olivia's parents now. And she comes back from this festival saying, oh, I just feel so inspired by God to go and serve the poor. Like, oh, that's really good, Olivia. What are you going to do? Are you going to go and do a gap year maybe? Or are you going to spend 20 years getting a career, look after yourself financially, and then you might go and do something exciting? Or maybe you could go and serve for a charity. And none of those things quite happen. So how did you get from 16-year-old burdened Olivia to CEO, co-founder of a charity in Uganda, but you live in Birmingham? Yes. <laughs> Firstly, just to say, when I did go home and tell my parents about that, they weren't particularly happy. <laughs> My dad is actually an accountant and he's been very much like, get a good paying job, look after yourself first. Then maybe when you retire, you go overseas and do something. That was very much my dad's stance at the time. So yes, I knew that I had to go. I knew I had to go overseas. And I did a couple of mission trips um, short term. And then when I finished school, when I was 18, my friends were going off to university. I signed up to do a gap year to do a year overseas, serving God and serving the poor. And I didn't know where to go or what that exactly would look like. But I remember just finding various charities that offered things like that, filling in forms. And I remember there was this form and we had to say, what country do you want to go to or where do you want to go? And I just left it completely blank and I just prayed when I sent it off. I prayed and I said, God, just use me, send me wherever you need me. And little did I know that's actually quite a dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> and I ended up being placed in Uganda. So I spent nearly a year in Uganda after I'd finished school when I was 18. On that gap year programme is where I met Corrie, who is the co-founder of Kids Club Kampala, and also is where I met Sam, who is the other co-founder. Sam is our Ugandan director, so he's Ugandan, and we met him there. And on this gap year that I was doing, I was placed with another charity and we were mainly teaching in schools secondary schools mainly but to be honest we didn't have loads to do and the work that we were doing we didn't feel like we were particularly helpful really in Uganda schools not free so children that can go to secondary school are really quite privileged children and also these schools were quite nice they had qualified teachers and just a bunch of 18 year olds turning up we didn't really know what we were doing and couldn't help but feel surely there's something more that we could do here. And it's a long story, so I'll try and keep it short. But we met Sam, who, as I said, is now a Ugandan director, and he shared with us his story and his heart and his vision. Sam had a very difficult childhood himself, but despite all of those experiences, he met God and his real passion was for children who were going through really difficult situations, who maybe don't have family, who are living in extreme poverty, just for these children to know that they are loved and to know that they have a hope. And he invited us into the slum communities in Kampala. 
And we'd been in Uganda for a few weeks and had certainly seen poverty, but nothing could quite prepare us for how we felt stepping into the slums in Kampala for the first time. The conditions are really, really challenging. Children running barefoot through open sewage, picking through rubbish tips to find food to eat. Families living in really overcrowded situations and the vast majority of people struggling to know where the next meal is going to come from and certainly not having access to things like education or healthcare. But despite all of this, just completely fell in love with these children and communities. And because we had a fair amount of free time, we just started playing games with the children. And whenever we could, we'd go into these communities and we'd bring big play parachutes and footballs and just have fun and games and just let the children enjoy themselves and let them have a childhood away from those worries and stresses of their everyday lives. And alongside that, we would tell Bible stories and we'd do songs and we called them kids clubs. And that's where our name comes from. And this was 2007. So I was 18. You can work out how old I am now. We just were doing this because it was fun and we felt like it was the right thing to do. And then after the gap year, I went home and I went to university and I went and I studied international development because I wanted to learn more about the economies of developing countries and how to solve global poverty. Not that that question was obviously answered (laughs) during my degree, but couldn't help but miss Uganda. What we'd been doing was so incredible and was so part of my heart and was just longing to go back. Corrie went to the University of Aberdeen. I went to Manchester. So the first summer after first year of university, we both went back together for the summer and we didn't have a plan. We just missed it and we missed our friends and we wanted to go and join in and see what was happening. And we quickly fell into going back into the slums and doing these kids clubs. But it became quite apparent that actually more needed to be done. I remember really clearly we had one day we were doing loads of games and activities and there was a bunch of children and they were sitting out and not joining in the games. And I remember going to these children and saying, what's wrong? Like, are you bored? Here's me thinking of children in the UK. Are you bored? And they weren't bored. They simply had no energy. They were too hungry. They hadn't eaten that day. And it just made me realise there's so much more to be done here. Yes, it's amazing that we are letting children have fun and telling them about Jesus, but actually there's so much more to be done here. We spent quite a bit of time looking for other charities, other aid organisations, churches who could come and support these children in these communities and just couldn't find anyone to come and help. There's a fair amount of social stigma around slum communities, not too dissimilar from urban poverty communities in the UK. There's a certain amount of social stigma. They're fairly dangerous. There's lots of social issues. So we couldn't find any organisations to come and help. And I remember praying to God and just being really angry and saying to God, how dare you allow these children to suffer and there's no one to help. I don't want to believe in a God who doesn't care or allows children to live like this and there's no organisations around. Why is there no one helping them? And I really clearly felt in that moment God saying, I am doing something and I want you to be a part of it. And in that time of prayer, Sam and Corey, who were also there, they felt God confirming the same thing. And we thought, oh my goodness, okay, this is great and exciting, but what does this mean? We were all young, didn't have experience of running a charity or fundraising or anything like that, but we just felt this is something we had to do and something that God was asking us to do. So yeah, that's how we started. It's just amazing. And over the past 15 years now, God has just been so, so kind. As you were speaking, I was really struck by all the different barriers that faced you as you were listening to God's voice and kind of beginning to hear this call. 
it would have been really easy to turn around and say, oh, I'm too young or I'm not qualified or the cost is too high or actually it's just quite scary to go into those communities. How did you manage to follow God in that perhaps when you were having those thoughts or what did that look like? I do think there's something to be said for being young and naive and reckless. And I I don't know if I'd have the same response now, you know, but I think God just really broke my heart. And I think that's where it came from. I just felt this real sense of injustice, like something needs to be done for these children. And if no one else will do it, then I guess we're going to have to do something. And it definitely came from that place of just feeling so burdened. I knew that if I didn't do something, then that burden wouldn't leave me. But also just knowing that God was in it. It was not like it was my idea. It was God's. And so it was just joining in with what he was doing rather than trying to do something in my own strength. And also, as I said, it wasn't me on my own. Sam and Corey were there. We founded it, the three of us. We also had some other really amazing Ugandan friends who were part of that journey and are still involved now and helping to do that work. It was really important to have other people to go on that journey together with, to pray with each other and support each other through that as well. Yeah, one of the things we've spoken about in the past on the podcast is that when it comes to generosity, it's not just giving money. It is giving time, it is giving support and influence and friendship and expertise and experience. All these things come together in a journey where it's far better to give almost collectively than it is to stand alone. Now, we are a faith and finance podcast, and we're going to segue onto the topic of finance and the part it plays within your role personally and and professionally. But I want to give our listeners a sense of what happened to Kids Club Kampala over the preceding 15 years because here you are, two teenage girls from the UK and one bloke from Uganda with a passion to do something for God. But it isn't just two girls and a guy in Uganda playing in the slums anymore, is it? Can you give us a sense of the scale of where Kids Club Kampala is now and what you've achieved over the past 15 years? It's been an incredible journey. And as I said earlier, God has been so kind. We started very small and we were all just volunteers doing it in our spare time when we could. And now the organisation has grown significantly. We support about 300,000 people a year at the moment. We work in 10 slum communities across Uganda and we've got an incredible team in the UK. At the moment, there's just six of us staff wise, but we've also got a board of trustees and volunteers. But in Uganda, we've got 40 full time staff plus 50 volunteers who run all of our programmes. And the kids clubs are still at the heart of what we do. They're a great touch point and a way that we connect with communities. But we do so much more than that now. We do a lot of work supporting children through education. So we provide free education for several hundred children every year. We do a lot of vocational training. So working with families, providing them with ways to start their own business and provide a sustainable income for their families to really help them get out of poverty. And we also do a lot of child protection work. So we have a project that rescues children who've been abandoned or abused or can't stay with their families. And then we provide them with respite care and then help them get either resettled into kinship care or into foster families. 
And then during the COVID pandemic three years ago, our activities had to close. We couldn't run our schools anymore. We couldn't have large numbers of children gathering together to play. And we found that the biggest challenge facing people was food poverty and that people were really at risk of starvation. So we opened food banks and we started providing families with food. And sadly, those are still continuing because at the moment there's a huge cost of living crisis in Uganda. But we provided over 45 million meals over the past couple of years and yeah we support about 300,000 people at the moment and the demand for our services is just increasing all the time it's just been incredible the impact that we've been able to have our team on the ground are just amazing they're so amazing and then we've been able to see amazing stuff happen with opening doors in terms of connecting with local and national government to be able to provide services for people and yeah it's just grown beyond what we could have ever expected That's amazing. And I can only imagine the logistical challenges that having like 46 staff and supporting 300,000 individuals must have. And so can you talk to us a little bit about where money and finances come into your role? We're an organisation that relies solely on the generosity of people. So finances and fundraising is a really big part of what we do in the UK. It's something that's constantly on my mind. At the moment, actually, this time of year, we're sort of planning budgets for next year and it's challenging. We rely solely on generosity of other people and it's a difficult time right now with cost of living crisis, etc. It's not easy and certainly there's a lot more that we'd like to be able to do if we have the resources to do it. We do have in the UK a head of finance who looks after our finances, kind of a CEO. I work very closely with them and also with our fundraising team to look at the finances. How are we doing? Are we on track? And planning budgets and spending. I'm also involved with facilitating getting the funds out to Uganda, so keeping an eye on exchange rates and hedging currency and all those kind of things. And then I work closely with the team in Uganda in terms of their financial management and accountability and budgeting and things like that. The vision as a charity is to help people move from just surviving to thriving. So we do lots of work around providing people with basic needs to survive, like food, um, shelter, child protection, etc. But ultimately, our long-term aim is to help people to really thrive. So our work through education and vocational training and helping people get established, setting up their own business. So we do money management, business training, as education as well, to really help people stand on their own two feet and get out of poverty for the long run. When you're working in an area of trying to alleviate poverty and trying to make people's lives better, finance is really important. And if we didn't have any finances, we couldn't do what we're doing. So yeah, it's in my role, but it's also something that's always in the back of my mind, always a bit of a worry. Sometimes it keeps me up at night. (laughs) I can't lie. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) And earlier in this season, we talked a little bit about how we can give. And I'd just love to hear your perspective on it as somebody who works for a charity. Just on a really practical level, what are the best ways we can give to our chosen charities in order to give you a better night's sleep? The best way that people can give is by giving financially and by giving financially with no strings attached. That is the absolute best way. We do have people that give things, that give items, but actually we then have to pay to send them out to Uganda and actually it's better to buy things on the local market. Or we'll have people that give money to a specific project, which is great and it is helpful. But actually the most helpful thing by far is, yeah, just giving funding that's unrestricted that we can quickly use wherever the biggest need is. We also have people who give time and volunteer with us. And that's amazing as well. We have people that pray for us, which again is is so, so needed. 
But yeah, sounds a bit crude to say sometimes, but giving money is the most helpful thing, definitely. And it's helpful for us to hear that from your perspective, because whilst we all want to be generous, we recognise there's better ways of giving than just nominal or token gestures. So one of the things we've spoken about on the podcast is the idea of regular disciplined giving, letting the charity have the confidence of knowing that money is coming in. And also, of course, using in the UK, it's gift day, the tax efficiencies of giving well. How big a difference do things like regular donors and getting that gift aid make to a charity like yours, Olivia? It makes a huge, huge difference. Just being able to know how much money roughly you've kind of got coming in each month, knowing that people have committed to give to you for the long run. It really does make a huge difference. And gift aid as well. It's really, really helpful. It just means we're able to plan better, we're able to plan our projects, plan our budgets better, we're able to anticipate any challenges and know what we can expect to receive and plan accordingly. And just to pivot slightly back towards the faith side of our faith and finance sandwich, you spoke about earlier that you guys are a Christian charity. What does that look like on a day-to-day basis and how does faith play out in your workplace? We're a Christian charity, but we describe ourselves having a Christian ethos. So not all of our staff team are Christians. That's not a stipulation, but it is something that's embedded within our values and something that's really important to us. In our Saturday Kids Clubs, we talk to children about God and that he loves them. We pray with people. But outside of that, our other programs aren't particularly evangelistic. So when we give people food or when we give people education, we're not doing that with the expectation that they will hear the gospel. We're just doing that because we love them and we want to care for them. But we do offer prayer where needed and it's a big part of the team culture. And for me, as I said earlier, I find it hard to separate my faith from what I do. And knowing that we do serve God, it's so important. And it's not doing it in our own strength. As it says in the Bible, when we are weak, he is strong. It's knowing that we can trust and rely on him. Also, it's great having colleagues and team around that actually when things are really hard, you know that you can just pray together. And we've had so many incidences where we've literally been down on our knees and God has come through, often at the very last minute. There's been times where we've literally had like down to the last penny in our bank account and we've just prayed and we've had anonymous envelopes of cash come through the door. We've had times where we've had really difficult situations and prayed for healing for people and we've seen miracles happen. One story that I always like to tell is one time we were running a big kids camp in one of the communities that we work in and we were serving food for the kids and we'd budgeted for about 500 kids. So we had this massive saucepan full of rice and we were starting to serve this rice to the children. And as the children were lining up, we realised that more and more kids were just coming and coming and coming. And children were like popping out of bushes with plates and running out of houses and just coming over and joining the queue. And I remember turning to my friend and saying, I don't know what we're going to do. This rice is going to run out she's an amazing Ugandan lady with a much bigger faith than me and said well we'll just pray we'll just pray so we prayed over this rice and amazingly it just didn't run out we just kept scooping it out serving it and at the end of the day we roughly counted up how many children had come along and we think we counted almost 2,000 and it's just things like that and it builds your faith so then the next time that we're faced with a really difficult situation or the next time we don't know where our next month's money is going to come from to pay all our team we know actually remember when God did that and it strengthens your faith and then we can pray and know that actually yeah we can trust in him and he's going to come through. That is a really interesting interface you have between those with Christian faith who share your faith and those of of non-faith or quite possibly other faiths as well. And I'm just wondering, Olivia, 
Do you see a difference in how people respond and react to you because of their faith or because of their lack of faith even? And that's a really interesting question. So not all of our team are Christians, but we make it very clear that we're an organisation with a Christian ethos and when people do join our team, whether as a staff member or a volunteer, then they know what they're getting themselves into. We've had some donors who've said, I don't want any of my funds to go towards anything that is overtly Christian or evangelical. And some of our donors specifically want their money to only go to evangelical works. So it's a mix, really. Different people respond in different ways. That's brilliant. I love that those two opposite camps almost balance each other out in the end. Not wanting to give to evangelical things and only wanting to give to evangelical things. And just as we're speaking to you, it almost feels like we've got this insight into a whole other world of the charity sector and the third sector. And so what would your top tips or your key message be that you would want to communicate to people outside that world who are maybe interested in being involved or interested in how they can give most effectively and efficiently or just want to hear more about what it's like to operate in that sphere? I think firstly, I would say that God is a God of compassion and God is a God whose heart is for the poor. When you read the Bible throughout the Old Testament, it is just saturated with God's commands to care for the needs of the poor, to care for the widow and orphan. And I think if you are a Christian, you have a faith, you can't run away from that. And I think part of being a Christian is caring for the needs of the poor. It's obeying God's commands in those areas. And we look at the teachings of Jesus and how the early church lived. That is very much how people's faith is worked out. And I think it's important for all Christians to engage with the charity sector. That doesn't necessarily mean starting a charity or working for a charity, but I think it's important for Christians to engage in that space. In terms of tithing, giving to the church, that's actually something that's different to just caring for the needs of the poor. And so I think sometimes I'll come across people who say, oh, I'll give to my church. And it's like, great, that's really important. You need to give to your church. But actually, what are you doing? What are you doing personally to engage with, for example, the issue of global poverty? What are you doing personally about that? And as I said, that doesn't necessarily mean working or volunteering with the charity, but it can be giving financially or just praying. If people are working for a charity or considering a future career in the charity sector or anything like that, I would highly recommend it. It is stressful. (laughs) It does involve sacrifice, but Jesus never said that we were going to have an easy life, but it is incredibly rewarding. I would say as well, if anyone's thinking of starting a charity, it's not easy. (laughs) It's not necessarily the route I would have chosen. And as I said, for us, the main reason that we started Kids Club Kampala was really because when we looked into it, we couldn't find any other organisations doing something to help this particular group of people. It wasn't like myself sitting in the UK thinking, oh, putting a pin in a map, I'm going to go here occasionally people can think oh I'm going to start a charity I'm going to do this but do your research find out who else is doing something who can you partner with very much I'd say starting something should really be a last resort I think collaboration and partnerships really really key now Olivia I want to ask you a question to do with accountability I remember the occasion when I was first motivated to give to Kids Club Kampala It's long before I'd met you, I knew Corrie. Corrie was part of uh, our church in Aberdeen. And Corrie and I were in the church kitchen. We were washing up and we were chatting over the dishes. And I was asking her how she was doing, what she was up to. We just had this conversation and I heard her heart coming out. And it was a moment in my wife and my, our own personal financial position, where we had stopped giving to one organization for a very deliberate and proactive reason. 
And in that moment, I just thought, well, who else better to give it to than this person who I know and trust? I know if I put pounds into her hand, they will end up as pounds on the ground in Uganda. But I've had doubts with other charities in the past where the money that I give, just how much of it actually gets to the place where the need is, how much ends up being spent on fundraising or paying staff salaries in the UK or who knows what else. I'm just wondering, how does somebody who wants to be financially generous, they want to give money, how do they find out what is a good cause to give to and how do we hold you accountable for the money that we give? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm really passionate about small grassroots charities. I think small charities have so much opportunity to be agile, to be responsive and to be able to quickly get money where it is needed without having a lot of red tape and bureaucracy to go through. So that's something I'm really passionate about. And in my spare time, not that I have a lot of spare time, I'm part of the UK Small Charities Advisory Panel. So we're a panel that advises the UK government about why they should support small charities and needs of small charities. So I'm very passionate about small charities. I think as well, something that's really important is making sure you've got a really good team on the ground. So as I said, we've got a fantastic team on the ground in Uganda who we've worked with for so many years. We absolutely trust them so much. Sam, who's Uganda director, is one of my closest friends. And I think it's knowing that you've got people on the ground who you can trust to deliver that work. I would say that if you do meet a charity who says we've got zero overheads, I don't think that's an effective charity, actually, because you do need to pay people to get work done. If someone makes a donation to you and you're not paying any sort of admin or any overhead costs, then how does that person get thanked or how does that money get sent out to where it needs to go? Or how do the reports get written or the evidence get collected on the ground of where that money has gone or the photos get taken or whatever? There's been quite a lot of research done recently around what's a good percentage for an effective charity. And I think it was something between 30 and 35% spent on staff, overheads, fundraising, etc. So once you get over that balance, it's inefficient. But if you spend too little, it's also not effective. In terms of knowing where your money's going, just speak to the charity. Most charities, in my experience, will be more than happy to have a conversation about that and to talk their donors through where the money is going. If you look on the Charity Commission website or in Scotland, it's the Office of the Scottish Charity Regulator, Oscar. You can look up any charity and you can view their accounts and you can be a bit nosy and you can have a look and see actually how much do they spend on this and, and that. But I think as well, it's the responsibility of the charity to be able to report to donors where their money is going. And one thing that I think we do quite well, we're quite proud of, is that if someone gives us money for a specific thing, that specific thing gets bought very quickly and we get a photo through within the next few days and we're able to send that photo straight over to the person that donated the money and say, look, here you go, thank you, this is the difference it's made. And what I love in your answer there, Olivia, is not only have you explained a whole bunch of almost the behind the scenes, but actually in some of those statistics and just some of that explanation, you've actually empowered people that whatever charity they support, they have a framework of what's a normal amount to be spending on operations versus money on the ground and also just enabling people to say, hey, I'd love to know where my money's going. Can you tell me more about it? And almost inviting that in is so, so helpful. I'm aware that we are rapidly running out of time. I wondered, Olivia, if there's anything that you'd love to share or any final thoughts that you want to throw out for us today. 
yeah, if anyone's interested in finding out more about Kids Club Kampala, our website is just www.kidsclubkampala.org and you can click on there if you're interested in making a donation or getting involved in any way. But I suppose the main thing that I wanted to say is that God is a God of generosity and everything we have is not ours. Everything we have belongs to God. And I think as Christians, we are called to be generous as you said earlier with our money but also with our time with our energy with our prayers and I'm just somebody who just said yes to God and anybody can do that I've learned things along the way and it's not been easy but I don't want people to hear this and think oh but you know I couldn't do something like that like honestly I'm (laughs) I'm no one special and certainly we started out I had literally no clue of what I was doing and it's very much been God's journey and God's grace sustaining this work over the years so I guess I just encourage anybody who's listening if you're feeling a nudge to do something whether that's making a donation to a charity or whether that's setting something up yourself or getting involved with some ministry in some way I just encourage you to follow that nerd and see what happens because it's very very exciting olivia that has been just tremendous we are we're so grateful that you've joined us for the podcast today i just want to say as well i know cory i've got to know you a bit i've heard a bit about sam the three of you are an inspiration like you say you're no one special and yet what god has done in you and through you is incredibly special and we can see lives being changed both in the physical the needs of the kids and their families in the slums in Uganda, but also in the spiritual. You are taking the love of God everywhere you go and you're transforming lives. It is astounding what you have managed to do so far. And we look forward to watching the continued development of Kids Club Kampala. Thank you. It's going to be exciting. So our our prayers and blessings are with you all. Thank you so much. No doubt right now you're at home with a baby, having other challenges with life as this goes out on the airwaves. So thanks, Olivia. We'll catch up with you at some point in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Bye then. Bye. Bye. It's just such a privilege to hear that story. And we will be back with our final bonus episode on our giving series in a little while. This one is particularly exciting, I think, because it doesn't just feature our voices, but it features the most voices we've ever had on a podcast, as we have taken a whole bunch of questions to you and looked to get your thoughts and opinions on a whole number of topics about giving. We can't wait to put that live and to let you hear your own voices. But in the meantime, if you have any questions or comments or topics you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch with us in the usual ways via email or via Instagram. And we'll see you in a few weeks' time. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.